morning scripture comes from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. And now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. And he, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. And now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and, and he was passing through the region. He, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, open us up. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Open our hearts to feel. And then, O oh God, open our hands to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it saddens and angers me that we begin our For the Road series with news this week of yet another African-American brother of ours, George Floyd, being killed on the road after a white police officer pressed into Mr. Floyd's neck with his knee for over eight minutes while he pleaded to breathe and while bystanders pleaded with the police officer to let him up for air, which he did not. It is obviously not enough for white people to be pleading from the sidelines against racism in our country. We have to be actively working to stop it, to end systemic structures that are oppressing and killing our black brothers and sisters. If we are not actively opposing racism, we are part of the problem. If the church is not actively opposing racism, if the church is not actively working to break down systems that divide and oppress, the church is part of the problem. That is what the scripture today is really about. At the heart of it is this question. 
Will the church stand up against established systems that have long denied rights and persecuted and perpetuated the power and control of one group over another? Or will the church simply align with the powers that be and reinforce systemic injustice? That's what the eunuch is really asking when he asks Philip if he can be baptized. He's asking if there are barriers that exist that prevent him from becoming a full member of the household of God. Because up until this point, he's been excluded from everything else. So he assumes the church has things in place to prevent him from full participation too. What is to prevent me from being baptized, he asks Philip. What, what systems do you have in place that deny my belovedness and belonging as a child of God? What is to prevent me from going on a jog on a Sunday afternoon in my neighborhood? What is to prevent me from walking in Central Park and asking a woman to put her dog on a leash according to the law? What is to prevent me from walking home with Skittles? What is to prevent me from breathing? What is to prevent me from being fully embraced and treated as a beloved child of God. Philip says nothing. Philip says nothing prevents you. And that is the right answer, according to God. But it is not the realistic answer. And part of me wishes he would have given the realistic answer. I wish he would have said, there is a lot that prevents you. I wish he would have acknowledged the fact that the only reason he can safely baptize the eunuch is because they are literally in a desert road with no one around. I wish he would have said, in principle, you are a member of the household of God, but in practice, we have a long, long way to go. There's a great book by social scientist Margaret Wheatley called Who Do We Choose to Be?, And she says, one step, the first step, is facing reality. It is acknowledging who we are. We have to face the reality of who we are before we can choose to be different. I want to read this to you. This is from a charter for racial justice policies in our United Methodist Book of Resolutions. In principle, the United States has outlawed racial discrimination, but in practice, little has changed. Social, economic, and political institutions still discriminate, although some institutions have amended their behavior by eliminating obvious discriminatory practices and choosing their language carefully. Adding to this reality, the success of some prominent people of color has contributed to the erroneous but widespread belief that America is in many ways a post-racial society, where race is seldom a factor in the opportunities and outcomes in people's lives. The institutional church, despite sporadic attempts to the contrary, also still discriminates on the basis of race. We are conscious that we have sinned as our ancestors did. We have been wicked and evil. We call for a renewed commitment to the elimination of institutional racism. So the rest of the charter details how United Methodists will work to eliminate institutional racism in our church, but the charter starts with facing the reality that this isn't a post-racial society. This isn't a post-racial church. The reality is that racism is deeply embedded in the church, and change is only possible, only possible after we name it and confess our part in perpetuating institutional racism.
So let's start with confession. I invite you to join with me in this prayer of confession. And as you speak the words, let them sink into your soul. O God, who created and loves all people, we come before you today confessing the sin of racism in our country, our church, and in ourselves. Forgive us for our part in it, for the ways we have contributed to the oppression of others, whether knowingly or unknowingly. We want to be different and for our nation to be different, but it is hard when we face the injustice of institutions as well as the prejudice in ourselves. Help us to see the reality of racism and bigotry wherever it exists and to have the courage to challenge it. Through your Holy Spirit, may we be given the grace and power to change within ourselves and also to join with others to do the work of love and justice in the world, to move toward the goal of bringing an end to racism. Through the name of your Son, Jesus, who came for all people. Amen. Step one, step one, facing reality. Another word for it from our tradition is justifying grace. It is the grace that helps you to face the reality that you are not living as a reflection of Christ in the world. You know the, the underlying reality that scientists and social scientists agree we have lost sight of because of our tribalism and division? Interconnection. The reality that we are all part of something bigger than ourselves. As conservationist John Muir puts it, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Interconnectedness is in biology and it is in physics. We are all connected. We are all hardwired for connection. That is the reality we must reclaim. And as Christians, this is at the heart of our doctrine. Father James Martin this week said, Jesus prayed that they may all be one. But how can we all be one with the scourge of racism that plagues our country and world? How can we be one when any one of us is treated the way that George Floyd was treated? Reclaiming the reality of our interconnection is a matter of life and death especially for black lives when they cannot walk down the street or into a store without white people seeing them as a threat instead of who they really are, which is God's own, God's beloved. When the Spirit, when the Spirit leads Philip to go into the chariot with the eunuch, God is leading Philip to this lesson, to see that the eunuch isn't other the eunuch is profoundly connected with Christ. When the eunuch reads from Isaiah, he reads this passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shearer, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. He stops reading, and he asks Philip, well, about whom does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? What the eunuch means is, is this only about Isaiah and what he's going through, or is this passage about me as well? Is there a word for me? Did you catch the key words from the passage? Humiliation, justice denied. The eunuch knows all about humiliation and justice denied. He wonders, is God speaking to me 
and to my experience of being an outcast. And, and Philip says, yes, oh my, yes, I see it now. Of course, Jesus' story is your story. You see, Jesus the Christ is interconnected especially with those who are oppressed, those whom society has put down and deemed as other. I have to think Philip looked over at the eunuch in that moment, and he knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you welcome those whom society has humiliated and denied justice, you welcome me. I saw an image this week, two pictures side by side. On the left, the picture of the last moments of George Floyd's life with the knee on his neck. And on the right, a picture of Jesus on the cross. George Floyd's last words were, water or something, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. I thirst. As I stared at those two pictures, this wave of grief came over me, and I thought about that song. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? We are there. We are still there. Do we know George Floyd is Christ? Do we know Ahmaud Arbery is Christ? Do we know Botham Jean is Christ? Do we know Sandra Brown is Christ? Do we know Freddie Gray is Christ? Do we know Trayvon Martin is Christ? Facing reality. The second step after facing reality is claiming leadership. Claiming leadership. When Philip baptized the eunuch, he was claiming leadership by defying the rules, by defying the rules, by breaking the social and religious norms he had followed and had benefited from for so long. He was claiming his place in changing the system. I invite you to claim leadership today. So here are four very practical ideas for how you might begin to do that. Uh, these are from Be the Bridge, which is a source, a rec I recommend it as a resource to you. Uh, there are four L's, four L's, and I, I hope you can remember them. Claiming leadership begins with these four L's. The first is listen. Listen. Listen to people of color for whom racism is a fact of daily life. Listen with the desire to learn as they share their stories and perspectives. Honor their experiences and emotions. Respond and validate what they have been through. You may have to broaden your circle of, of friends in order to find diverse voices to hear. Seek out new friends. Find Facebook groups like Be The Bridge where you can listen in on critical conversation. Intentionally enter into spaces where you can listen from those for whom police brutality, and other issues of racial justice are not just abstractions, but everyday realities. Listen. Second L is learn. Learn. Seek out resources. Start by reading. We're going to put a few books on the screen for you. Pick a book and read it, and then read another one. I have a, a small group of folks who are my go-to people for guiding me and and giving me advice. 
about the best way to respond to racism and to work for racial reconciliation, you know what they all have in common? They've all read a lot of books about race. They have studied the history of racism in our country. They have all studied a lot, but they haven't just read. They have also done the inner reflective work, which is the next L. The third L is lament. Lament. Spend time journaling and reflecting and praying so that the Spirit can lead you to see yourself and our world more clearly, to gain a deeper understanding about your own biases and to change. The book Me and White Supremacy, it's a workbook. Uh, it's been a helpful guide to me in doing some of the inner work, but, but taking what you are reading and reflecting on it and writing about it is critical. The fourth L is leverage. Leverage. Use your influence. We all have circles of influence. Use them to advocate for change. Author Jen Hatmaker put it this way this week. White friends, you are not just a bit player in the dismantling of white supremacy. When you call out racism and demand justice, this matters. When you use your social media platforms to discuss what you are learning about implicit bias, it matters. When you point your friends and family members to leaders and authors of color, this matters. When you call evil, evil, it matters. You can handle dissent. You can handle it when your Aunt Mary says you are guilty of reverse racism against whites or whatever nonsense. You can handle their defensiveness and anger. You can. What you cannot handle is sitting silently by as white supremacy learns how to adapt without consequence in our generation. An unbroken chain of terror for centuries. Have a good answer when your great-grandchildren ask what you did during the rampant abuse of black and brown bodies in our time. Use your voice. Raise it with courage and conviction. Let us raise our voices with conviction together as we claim and proclaim our commitment to be anti-racist and to end racism and white supremacy. I want to end with this affirmation by Austin Channing Brown. Let's say it together. We are a collective of change agents. Bored by easy answers, we wrestle with hard questions. We understand history can speak prophetically. We push ourselves purposely. We read voraciously, listen intentionally. We act in solidarity. Often called troublemakers, we interrupt the status quo. We work to uproot white supremacy. We hold power accountable, believing in the possibility of change. Working to dismantle unjust systems, we drag injustice into the light. We are reconcilers. We make peace. We promote truth and love above politeness and civility. We make noise because our lives depend on it. We believe in reconciliation. We recognize justice comes first. We know God is working in the world. We believe in redemption and resurrection. We are confident in love's victory. We are confident in love's victory. So may it ever be. Amen.